Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the founder of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. As always, we are recording live, and then we will push this to our podcast feed later today. I'm really excited to have Joseph from Open Dollar here. Uh, Joseph, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, happy to be here, Adam. Awesome. All right. So as always, the first half of the show will be the Just Dow It News Report, where Joseph and I will go through recent Dow news and dig into each story. What's relevant about these stories for people starting Dows? Do we agree or disagree with the author and what they've said? And uh, and, and see if we can find some uh, hot takes or, or things to disagree with as well. And then in the second half of the show, we will dive in a little bit deeper into an interview with you, Joseph. But for now, will you just tell all of us a little bit about yourself and what makes sure. you an authority on DAOs. Uh, yeah, happy to. So I'm Joseph. I'm one of the co-founders of Open Dollar. We're building a new over-collateralized stablecoin on Arbitrum, uh, where debt and collateral is tied to NFTs instead of being tied to accounts. So we're trying to build the safest, most flexible uh, lending product in DeFi and really bring the feature sets of DeFi up to the traditional finance uh, finance standards. So expanding what what you can do and and just offering more. Um, So I've been yeah, so I've been working for DAOs uh, since 2019, 2020. Um, Most of the last five years I spent working full time for different DAOs and I've contributed to Meta Cartel, Raid Guild, Hero Dow, Raid Brood, uh, Public Nouns, and um, some other public good type things. Um, I was the first developer relations person hired at Gitcoin in 2018. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to just see more people getting into it and, and seeing all of the things uh, that DAOs can improve upon and and uh, help people with. Awesome. Fantastic. Very cool. All right. So uh, let's dive into this week's Just Dow It News Report. Uh, as always, I'll summarize each story and then we'll dig into them a little bit. So the first story of the week, this is a long, great article uh, on Mirror uh, by uh, Spencer Graham. Uh, it goes by Spencer. Love Spencer. <laughs> Right? I know. Same here. He's such an OG. <laughs> OG always has hot takes, but then also really digs into serious analysis and perspective. So yeah, 100% agree. Uh, recently been posting a lot on Farcaster as well. So if anyone's not on Farcaster yet, uh, come check that out. It's a lot more fun than Twitter, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, I think a lot, most people who are using it would agree. Are you on there, by the way? Are you on Farcaster? Uh, yes, I'm on Farcaster, Sweet. Cup of Joseph everywhere. And, uh, you know, it just hasn't, it just hasn't put enough serotonin, uh, or excuse me. Um, what's the, what's the happy chemical dopamine dopamine. That's what it is. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't give me the same, the same instant dopamine that Twitter does. So I, I'm not addicted <laughs> to Farcaster yet. But I'm looking right. forward to, to being Interesting. so. All right. It's funny. I think I avoid Twitter because I don't like things that put me in that scenario where I feel like I need the dopamine. Um, but at the same time, uh, they've definitely optimized well for that. So 
<laughs> All right. First story of the week is the headline is anti-capture towards a framework of capture resistant governance. Uh, many contributors, uh, also many of whom I'm sure you and I b uh, would both know, um, but again, written by Spencer. And uh, this article uh, goes through a new way of thinking about DAOs uh, as, as primarily being about avoiding a certain type of capture that happens a lot in the world and in organizations. And, and, and I think when Spencer talks about capture, um, well, let me just uh, read a couple of uh, paragraphs from the article. So, uh, constrained by the realities of the world of atoms, the safest way to manage resources shared by the many has been to place them in the custody of a trusted few. Organizations' internal governance policies striving to address the risk that even those few cannot be trusted are backed by external governance policies enforced by governments. This model of security by hierarchies of concentrated power has long been the status quo. While it has enabled organizations to help create the modern world of relative luxury in which we live, it leaves a lot to be desired. If humanity is to solve challenges like climate change and public goods infrastructure, we must come up with methods of managing shared resources with significantly lower risk of capture. And this is where he goes into define a new category of governance called capture resistant governance, saying the promise of capture resistant governance is managing shared resources in a way that prevents capture of those resources by bad actors. So, you know, the the way that Spencer goes on to talk about the way organizations work in general and kind of the way the world works in general is that the world is a network of agents. Right. And agents yep. can be people. Agents can be pieces of software, technology. Increasingly, he doesn't go into this, but increasingly with AI, right? You have AI agents, um, uh, other objects or forces in the world, right? Are all these agents that are interacting in different ways in some sort of global network, right? Right. Uh, and organizations tend to be when you take some group within that network and say, this group is trying to do something together. It has a shared purpose of some kind or shared resources. And then you can kind of look at it as in some ways distinct, you know, what is in that network versus what is out of the network and how do all these agents interact. And uh, Spencer goes on to define a DAO as a network of agents who share a common purpose and are the only ones who hold the power to execute actions that manage a set of shared resources. So to me, he's really leaning into autonomous. It's a pretty good here. definition. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. Why do you like it? Uh, you know, the, the autonomy of those individuals, right? Like even a company has a board of directors, but it's not a DAO and it will never be a DAO because they can just be replaced at any time. You yeah. know, and you, you can't replace people in a DAO, you know, their shares are immutable. So I think that's a really, that's a really strong definition. I mean, I feel like can't a DAO, if a DAO wants to elect a board, then they can replace that board anytime right. too, right? right? I mean, maybe, and, I guess to me, it, it seems like maybe the, what he's trying to differentiate is that a board, it would usually be governed by written documents that are enforced by a government. 
but the, right. the board has to follow those documents and the government has to force them to do what they say they're going to do. Otherwise, they don't have to versus maybe if it were a DAO, there would be this like, you know, built in on chain enforcement of the rules of the board and they wouldn't be able to break those rules even if they wanted to. Right. Yeah. yeah, that I mean, my my I don't know if you're ready for the hot take, but my hot my hot take on that is is you know DAOs governed by smart contracts, right? Which are immutable code on chain, and actually this time right now that we're living in, like this moment, is the first time in all of human history where you can enforce an agreement nonviolently with a smart contract, mm -hmm. right? Because for all of human history, you go back. Okay, there's cavemen, and you know, give Grug one rock, and if you don't give Grug one rock, like Grug beat your head in with rock, right? And and then you go and then you go forward in history, and then you get to you know feudalism, colonialism, you know, all of uh, modern history, all of modern capitalism, and if you violate an agreement that you make with someone, that's a handshake paper agreement. And you can try to enforce it yourself. Uh, but if someone says no, then eventually you go to court and the judge says, okay, here, pay, you know, pay this amount and decides. Uh, and then what? And then if they still continue to, to say no, then the police come. And if they resist, then there's violence. Or if this is not between individuals, if it's between, you know, actors that are, like you said, could be other governments or nation states, right? If two nation states have a disagreement about where uh, a border that was arbitrarily made in 1517, for example, if they have a, a disagreement about that, then the, there's violence. There's violence because that's the only possible way to enforce things. And actually, all of human history can be separated in, into two times. The times before 2017, where agreements can only be enforced with violence. And the time since then to now where agreements can be enforced by autonomous smart contracts and code uh, that we write for DAOs and other platforms. Yep. I love that. That's, and so you that's said, my, you said that's to, my hot take. <laughs> it's awesome. Crypto is, is, is peaceful money. Open dollar is peaceful money. And we're going to build the world's first ever peaceful financial system. Mm, interesting. Now, it's, I mean, one thing that, I can't help but I feel like it's it's not coming from <clears throat> my own philosophy, but mm. from th the reactions I always get from other people when I say stuff like what you just said and what what I, and what I started saying before too is like wait this sounds so utopian but I mean can't a group just come along and use these new technologies to uh, conduct evil or to 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 uh, to enact violence right I mean you just apply the same coordination mechanism and make a capture resistant terrorist cell that then goes and does violence. And, and, and yeah. I think that's, that's true, right? I think, I think the technology is not inherently good or bad, but just like most technologies, it can be used for either. And so it's still up to us to use this new technology for enforcing agreements in a capture resistant way for, for good and not for evil. Right. Um, right. Otherwise, just because the money is nonviolent, it doesn't actually mean there's not going to be any violence, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a step towards you know every time somebody invents something that is helpful, every time someone 
creates something that is peaceful you know that's a step towards utopia i guess i mean i'm not i'm not disillusioned to say oh yeah everyone's going to use crypto and then we're going to live in utopia and pump my bags right no that's that's not that's not realistic that's not going to happen but i will say um you know the 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 peaceful part and the well can't someone use it for bad you know use it for evil of course like people can use everything until until the end of the 90s uh 256 bit encryption was illegal to share internationally because that was considered um in the US anyway to be military grade encryption and what could you possibly need that for unless you're you know an evil bad state actor trying to attack us and there were lots of laws around what you were allowed to encrypt or not um and who was allowed to have access to that kind of software and now it's it's ubiquitous i live in washington dc all of the reporters i know all of the activists organizing giant protests in dc all of the the congressional staffers that i know that i've ever met they all use signal right which is an encrypted messaging platform that's very popular uh because encryption and encrypted messages lets us communicate uh uh free from totalitarian you know potentially violent people who want to influence people organizing protests who want to into influence or harm activists you know and so i think encryption as a messaging tool alone it, you know very big very big uh force for good in the world um and DAOs can be too right uh and smart contracts can be too it it's yeah. it's about how how we use it and instead of going after the technology you should go after individuals who are using it poorly uh and and figure out who they are instead of going after the technology that has immense power DAOs, encryption smart contracts you know all of this stuff has immense opportunity to just alleviate human suffering and and improve the world in so many ways yep and that's that's very obvious to me and i i'm sure it is to spencer and and you know others who are writing these type of things yeah and i think one other kind of uh soft spot that spencer acknowledges in the article is you know the this capture resistant that he's talking about mostly applies to the execution phase of governance. And so it's the step where the, okay, we all voted to spend money a certain way. Now, rather than having to trust someone to spend the money that way versus, you know, and, and if not, again, go to the courts, like you said, and use violence against them to force them to do it, just have that money be spent automatically. But I think the reality is that most of what we do in organizations still can't be automated and done autonomously. You know, I mean, even though now we can control software and we can control money, which is massive, right? There's still other stuff. Like if you say, okay, the, the, we have a proposal to, tell this person to like shower before they come into work. I don't know why that's the example that comes up for me, but shower before they go or change the sign on the outside of the building or uh, move their, their stuff out of their office because someone else is supposed to be in the office. Like lots of all these human things. Well, then the human still has to go do the thing, right? Um, otherwise you still will resort to either taking away their money or using violence to kick them out of their office or whatever it is. Um, but, it, but at least these core functions of organizations for the first time can be automated right 
Right. I mean, there's always going to be human element. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, DAOs are going to be able to to do all this IRL stuff through robots and whatever, maybe. Uh, but the world of automating digital financial transactions and how money is spent between groups of people, that's like most money. Like most money, most money spent by organizations and and most money is digital now and deciding how to use that and being able to execute things autonomously that affects most people so you know i still think the scope even if you limit it to just groups making financial transactions is huge arbitrum dow has 6.4 billion dollars worth of tokens in it right now and and in eth and usdc and whatever else they're holding right 6.4 billion treasury for arbitrum dow and it doesn't have a ceo there is no other organization on earth that has that much resources and doesn't have an executive that makes a decision at the end of the day on what to do with it that just as an experiment alone that is definitely worth pursuing and i'm very i'm very excited to you know see how it goes yep yep that's awesome all right. Uh, speaking of money, and, and I imagine that uh, Arbitrum will be giving away a lot of that money to people building public goods. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? The, ne the next, because I mean, that's the thing, right? They could also just vote to get, I mean, uh, there may be mechanisms in place, including legal ones to prevent this, but those people could just vote to give themselves all the money, right? If they wanted we to. We should absolutely do that just as a, as a test run, just to see what happens and to see how resilient the DAO actually is. If I had enough uh, delegation, and you can delegate your ARB tokens to me, by the way, but if I had enough delegation in, Arb, in Arbitrum DAO, I would 100% make a proposal that says everyone who votes yes on this proposal gets an equal percentage per rata amount of the treasury, and everyone who votes no gets nothing. And then and, and we're going to drain the treasury and give it to everyone who votes yes, just to test and see how resilient, you know, how, how DAO-y are the DAOs. Right. Just go for it. Why not? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I believe as much as anyone, including you and Spencer, that DAOs are absolutely revolutionary and an exponential paradigm shift in how organizations function, which and like most yeah. of what we do revolves around organizations. But I still feel like we, we, we're, I still feel like we're building on a foundation that we're not getting rid of anytime soon. Right. Like like there might just have to be a rule written in a document that says that like the Arbitrum Foundation is not allowed to just give the money to itself, to its members. Right. And then we still have to follow it. And if people don't follow it, we got to take them to court. Because otherwise, then no. people like then it's not capture. Otherwise, it's not capture resistance. Because if people decide just to give themselves all the money, is haven't they captured? The, and especially if they do it in a way with such strong incentives against resisting by saying that if you vote no, you don't even get any of the money. Then, I mean, don't, then the organization is not as resilient as it's supposed to be. And also, there's a big difference between the foundation and the the actual DAO because the money in the treasury is not governed by paper it's governed by the arb token voters and that's true for you know open dollars treasury and and many others you know you can write whatever you want on paper but the tokens are going to go wherever wherever the execution on chain happens because it's autonomous and that's that's the power that we've given it if you want to participate in an organization that has written rules about you know what it's allowed to do with its money 
there are thousands and thousands of publicly traded companies that would love for you to, you know, buy their stocks and, you know, vote in their shareholder meetings. But uh, I'm here for something else and something different and, and something new. Uh, so I definitely think Spencer is on the right track for, you know, pursuing capture resistance. And if you are actually scared that uh, this, the hypothetical scenario that I, I said just now would happen, uh, then that organization needs to be redesigned or the smart contracts need to be redesigned. You know, we could build a time lock in that lets people rage quit. We can build, um, we can build a circuit breaker, right? That if more than 5% of the treasury moves per week, then a circuit breaker goes off and there's no more proposals allowed for the next month. Right. I, I don't know any type of, any type of permissionless safeguards that we want to add we can just pro we can just write those up. Both of those I just mentioned would take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to write in solidity and then just throw it into the DAO time lock controller. Done. Right. We can make our DAOs safer. I really, I really believe that without, yeah. without having yeah. to, to sign actual, you know, paper documents that says people are going to go get in trouble. Hmm. Okay. All right. Let's turn to the next article. So this one is Do from it. Coindesk. And the headline is, why crypto's most altruistic project is going kind of corporate. Gitcoin, which rewards developers for working on open source projects, is embracing money-making initiatives to increase its capacity for good. So you said you spent some time working on this project, right? Yeah, you know, Gitcoin is very close to my heart. I actually got my first crypto ever was ETH that I got in... December 2017 for completing a bounty on Gitcoin. When Gitcoin was all about bounties and funding open source, it wasn't really about public goods or grants yet. Um, and you know, it's a startup. Startups have to pivot to find product market fit, or they won't exist anymore. And so, if Gitcoin needs to, you know, change how they're doing things to keep existing, I want Gitcoin to keep existing. So. Um, I hope I hope it works out for them. A little disappointing if they really go corporate, um, but I do remember doing thousands of dollars of bounties in 2018 through the platform, just working on random open source things, and then being surprised to get a 1099 tax form from uh, Gitcoin uh, uh, at the end at the end of the year. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, so I'm gonna. And, you know, they were part of consensus for a while, which is very corporate-y. Um, I also worked at consensus for about a year. But, yeah, you know, it's not not a huge surprise. And um, I really just wish them the best of luck. And I'm, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah. And and look, part, part of my hot take is just because just, just you're trying to be economically sustainable doesn't mean you're going corporate, right? Like, yeah. I think that that's probably just the editorial kind of perspective that this this that this writer was trying to to take. Um, but uh, there's really nothing, you know, necessarily wrong with uh, trying to be sustainable. In fact, it's kind of something you have to do, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you're quote unquote corporate. Um, you know, uh, one line I took away from the article that I thought I would just expand on a little bit from my own recent experience. Uh, uh, giving to a project yesterday or the day before. So uh, this, uh, the, the line from the article is, 
Gitcoin is looking to use its expertise in grant giving to help other funds better distribute capital. And I noticed this when I was on Gitcoin the other day, um, uh, vote, basically voting by making small donations to a couple of projects that a lot of the system seems oriented around uh, a third party coming in and saying, okay, we have a fund that we want to give money or invest money in a certain purpose, but we're going to allocate it by letting the users of Gitcoin vote with their action, right? Vote with their money on which projects with should get funded by our fund. And so the, it did already seem to seem like they were facilitating other people giving money in for whatever purpose they want using the Gitcoin quadratic funding approach. Um, and that seems very cool to me. I mean, I don't see why there should be any any problem with that. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I can't I can't wait to see it. I think quadratic funding, really revolutionary, not something that exists in traditional uh, finance or traditional, you know, uh, uh, donation giving. And it started off as an experiment. Gitcoin has done so many experiments because they're really innovators and, and Kevin is really an, an incredible leader. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to, to see that. And I hope, I hope someday they can, you know, completely take over and start having actual corporate, uh, corporate donations. You know, how much money does Deloitte give away every year? I don't know. How much money does big fortune 500s give away to, lower their tax burden and do they just eat it into one big nonprofit that they're affiliated with or how much overhead do they spend? Uh, how much overhead do companies spend analyzing and researching what prop, what nonprofits to give money to let, let the masses, let the masses decide. Maybe, maybe there's a, a big competitive edge and, and they can earn a ton of fees that way. I don't know, but I'm, I'm very, I'm very optimistic for the future of Bitcoin especially now that Kevin is getting more involved again. Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right. The next article of the week. This one is from Mirror again, from Tally's uh, blog on Mirror. And the headline is, DAOs have more power than you think. So this article first, uh, and by the way, written by Kyler, uh, W56, also on Farcaster as well as other places. Um, uh, first of all, show some screenshots of just how many articles have been written over the past year, year and a half with headlines like, are DAOs dead? Uh, is 2023 the year of the DAO or are they already dead? <laughs> Reddit, uh, popular Reddit post, are DAOs dead? Uh, people saying, if you're in crypto, pivot into AI, right? All this stuff. And, and we've talked about a lot of these articles on the show and how often it seems like it's just a person who's had a really bad recent experience with a DAO or a project going out of business, or maybe it was hacked, or that person, you know, fell out of favor with the project, turning that one experience into a conclusion that DAOs are dead. I mean, that's like if every time you were involved in a startup that didn't go well, you came out and said companies are dead. Right. It's such a gross overgeneralization. It's kind of insane. Um, at the same time, it, it's it's I, I can't argue with analyzing the environment and asking how are DAOs going. And that's what the article does and concludes that actually DAOs are go going very well. Um, and whether you look at the total value locked you know, value that's managed by DAOs, which 
admittedly, that's always going to go up when crypto goes up and down when it goes down. So of course, those numbers are up right now, but still, that's an important uh, number to look at. And even just the number of DAOs that are being founded, the amount, the number of members of DAOs, right. the amount of voting that's happening, all the numbers are growing. And and Joseph, I, I'm curious if you've had the same experience as I have over the past several months, but just my personal experience, anecdotally, DAOs are blowing up. I mean, people are starting DAOs left and right. They're uh, DAOs that maybe were going slower for the past year and a half because you had fewer interest and token prices were lower. So native token prices were much lower. Um, now, suddenly things are picking up again and people are coming back to the discord, back to the community call um, and, and getting active again. And so I certainly agree with what this article says and, and, and the numbers they share, which is to say that DAOs are absolutely uh, growing a lot right now. If I had to summarize, Adam, I would say DAOs are so back. <laughs> yeah, yes. So hey, true. you know what? You know what? You can say, hey, you know, uh, Constitution DAO was a big failure and it didn't buy the Constitution. And, that, you know, that, and there hasn't been anything as big as that since. So DAOs are a big failure. All right. Go to juicebox.money and go look at how many DAOs are getting funded and how many millions of dollars are getting bootstrapped into DAOs and uh, uh, the growth of projects like Juicebox that are helping DAOs raise money is crazy and awesome. I saw one just last week. It's like uh, like cryogenic research DAO and they raised like a million dollars to do cryo, you know, research on cryogenics. I'm like, wow, that's insane so cool that yeah. you know if you wanted to go raise a, a vc fund or start a nonprofit or you know what what would be the overhead of starting a cryogenic research fund that would be insane like it would be so much work it would take years and that but someone on juicebox can say like hey you know let's fund this kind of research we have a good team and and we want to throw up a crowdfund and make sure that everyone contributing to it actually owns a part of it right and gets to decide how that money is spent uh, boom. And it takes 50, it takes 10 minutes, probably, probably takes three minutes to start the, the fundraiser and people to throw ETH into it. And now, and now there's an organization that didn't exist. That's funding cryogenic research, which I don't know anything about, but like, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and I think it, it kind of touching on something we were talking about earlier, what makes one of the things that makes it so much easier and safer to just ape into like a random research project that was started three minutes ago is that you know it's being controlled transparently by you the person who just aped in and all of the other members not some board or ceo that you have to trust is just going to run away with a million dollars i mean you still have to make sure you're you know it's not like a fake smart contract or like yeah. the, the project isn't even real and they're just tricking you into giving you their money but like assuming you can look at the smart contract or it's, it's on a platform maybe like whether it's nouns or some other like platform that you know is a trusted set of smart contracts that are used by tons of people with lots of money under management right and uh and now you ape in and and the risk is so much lower than it would have been if if you had like run into someone on the street who was like give me a hundred dollars and we're gonna go do cryogenic research i mean you just you would almost never almost virtually never want to trust that right and now we've created a world where if you if you know what to look for and you know how to evaluate 
at least just the basics of like, is this a real project? Is this a real smart contract? It's been audited, whatever, right? Now you can trust and, and invest and, D and ape in and you're generally safe. Yeah, that's why platforms like DAO House are so incredible because you have this standardized feature set of the DAOs on the platform using Moloch. Uh, you know, Rage Quit is so powerful where there's a proposal that you don't like or someone is trying to steal all the money, you can Rage Quit the DAO and delete your shares in it and take a pro rata amount of the treasury with you, right? So if you own 1% of the DAO and it's about to, someone is about to steal all the money from it, you know, there's a delay of a few days and you get to, if the treasury has a hundred dollars in it and you own 1%, you get to take $1 with you and just leave whenever you want. Right. And so those are safety mechanisms that make DAOs safer than other investment organizations and other, you know, uh, uh, donor organizations, religious organizations, and they're just, if it's designed well, and it's designed in a standardized way, it can be safer than anything that exists in TradFi. There is no company where you can rage quit the stock if you don't like what the board is about to vote on, right? That's not an option. And so just giving people more options and autonomy like that, definitely worth pursuing. I think you're right to put a big asterisk on it about, you know, look out for scams. Uh, but yeah, that's why, you know, Dow House is awesome. Juicebox is awesome. And these people, you know, standardizing it like Spencer and, and others that we've mentioned are, are, you know, going to be huge MVPs just as DAOs keep growing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, turning to the next article. This one is uh, from Coindesk again. And the headline mm. is, Japanese lawmakers want to carve out new Web3 policies, Coindesk Japan. We would like to grasp the current situation in areas other than decentralized autonomous organizations and identify new important points for policy, Congressman Hideto Kawasaki said. Um, and he said other than because they already had announced something about DAOs recently. Uh, the one thing I want to highlight here, aside from it just always being exciting when uh, more governments are, you know, getting to me, getting engaged with the space and thinking about how do we create the right legal and regulatory framework. One interesting thing that was mentioned in this article is that they're trying to figure out uh, whether or not companies need to implement a smart contract to be classified as a DAO. And I think that kind of reflects like a conversation that I have occasionally with folks in the space, which is like, if, it, if, if you're not using a smart contract, can it possibly be a DAO? Or, or it's like, do you have to use smart contracts to manage your money, to do your voting on chain, track your membership on chain with a token or, or otherwise to be considered a DAO? And, and usually I say, yeah, that's part of what a DAO is, is you're using smart contracts for one or more of membership tracking uh, proposals and voting governance, treasury management, software control. Otherwise you might be like, I'm not going to blame you if you're like, oh, we're a startup DAO where that stuff's coming soon. Okay, fine. I'm not going to say don't call yourself a DAO, but if you're never planning on doing anything on chain, you know, I, I don't see, no, I mean, maybe I guess going back to like what Spencer said earlier, if there were another way to build a capture resistant organization uh, or capture resistant governance framework, maybe that could qualify as a DAO. But smart contracts just are the only way we know how to do that today. So in practice, that's the only way to be a DAO. I don't know. What would you say, Joseph? I would say if someone has figured out a way to execute code autonomously in a permissionless way that nobody can possibly interfere with, 
and that is completely uh, capture resistant from state actor, you know, hostile nation states like Ethereum smart contract platform is. And it's really about writing code and executing code, right? If someone has come up with a way to execute code without Ethereum smart contracts, please, please, for the love of God, call me. I'm going to give you all of my money. I'm going to invest in you. If you figured out how to do this without blockchains, please, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to double mortgage my house and I'm going to invest. I'm investing it all. I'm throwing it all, all in on that. And, uh, I've never seen, I have absolutely no idea what that would look like. Um, and if anyone can figure it out, you know, go for it. But, uh, it seems like that is already a solved problem. And we figured out how to do it through smart contracts on Ethereum using blockchain technology. Uh, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. And I totally agree. You know, there's no, there's no way, there's no other known way that humanity has figured out how to execute code autonomously. And that comes back to this, you know, two sides of history where you have smart con before and after smart contracts, basically. Uh, and the 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 difference in in the timeline and and the history is not going to be very apparent right now but i think 100 years from now people will be like yeah this this started in 2017 you know uh and you know a little bit before then but uh you know i don't know when when the first solidity smart contract was published was it 2015 or, or something like that um but yeah i i agree with you <laughs> yeah and I think the other thing too, so, you know, pe people ask us a lot in the Marshall Islands, uh, how could it possibly be safe to allow people to have legal companies with anonymous members? You know, people like the IMF and the Asia Pacific group and the US, they're always asking us questions like this, right? How could that possibly be safe? And there's actually a really good answer to the question. So first of all, think about a traditional company. That, and let's just talk about Delaware because so many companies get registered in Delaware. You can think about in any jurisdiction you want, but register a company in Delaware. How much visibility does Delaware have into the financial activity of that organization? Zero visibility, zero, right? You could argue they can go look at the IRS tax returns or something, but that company's money is in bank accounts and the government trusts the banks to or in cash. regulate the use of that money. <laughs> which they or do in, not do or, well or in cash you know it's a cash only cash. pizza place you have no idea right, what they're doing right. In there right right absolutely zero visibility right and you're just trusting law enforcement will somehow figure out if something bad's happening and by the way i mean there's plenty of reports about how often banks get fined i mean more i don't know if it's jp morgan's been fined like 40 billion dollars over the past decade for facilitating money laundering like it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Whoops. Now with a DAO, because DAOs are run using smart contracts, when you register a DAO LLC in the Marshall Islands, for example, the only way for your legal company to wrap the DAO is you have to tell the world what smart contracts are running the DAO. What's the smart contract that tracks membership? What's a smart contract that keeps the money, et cetera. Now, how much visibility do you have? 100% visibility into every, not only all the DAO's money and where that money has always been and where it always is in the future, right? And not only that, but forever. every single member forever. of the DAO. Not, not just, right, not forever. just, oh, what are they doing with it now? Indefinitely. Right, right. And every single member, even if you don't know their name, you can watch all of their money 
again, from history all the way into the forever future for every single member of the DAO if you want to. Now, that might actually sound scary to people that think of the blockchain as a place where you can have privacy. That's a whole separate question. And, and there, obviously, there's ways of trying to have more privacy. But from the perspective of regulatory compliance of companies, this is a much more transparent way to have a company because they're using smart contracts. So I would tell the Japanese government, yes, probably if you're going to treat this type of company, a DAO differently from a different type of company like we do in the Marshall Islands, yeah, like if they're if it's it's the fact that they're using smart contracts that makes them transparent and compliant in a way that should make you feel comfortable allowing them to have anonymous members. So probably if you're going to have a law that only applies to DAOs, part of the requirement should be that your DAO is run using transparent, open smart contracts. I think so. I think definitely. Yeah. Really good points. Thanks. All right. Next article, possibly the last article of the week. Uh, actually, it's a tweet. So going back to X here, um, this is a tweet about a tweet about a article from Wired. Um, and and I, I wanna, I'm going to start with the article and then let's just back up into these two tweets because they're both really funny and I think trying to be ironic, um, but also touch on kind of touching on some of the uh, are DAOs really working or not conversation we, we've been having. So first of all, the article from Wired was headlined a dangerous new home for online extremism decentralized oh autonomous yeah okay i <laughs> yeah, saw I'm it i'm sure you saw it yeah if, sorry if sorry i didn't mean super... to interrupt i didn't mean to no, interrupt okay yeah this i mean obviously like, anyone who's really into crypto probably saw this article and, and saw people talking about it already this was a few weeks ago um so, so the, the, the subtitle is DAOs offer independently mined internet users a safe haven, but it's also a boon to those with a darker purpose. So this whole article in Wired basically seems like a scare piece, right? Just trying to scare people yeah. about DAOs and how, how they can be used for evil. Doesn't really mention like how that compares to how you can use other organizations for evil already. It doesn't even mention any statistics about whether this is actually happening you know, and in at what, what level, which it right, which may not be. It, it's just it was really just a scare piece, and, and it, this was, I think, really upsetting to a lot of us in crypto because a lot of us probably grew up reading Wired and read Wired today, and really enjoy a lot of the research and a lot of the articles. A lot of, I mean, I've been reading this thing for my for pretty much my whole life, as far as I can remember, and it's fun. And, and so now it's it is offensive and and it's annoying when you see someone like Wired publish an article like this. But but I want to read the two tweets because really part of why we're highlighting this now is because these are a couple of just really funny tweets. Um, so the first one uh, is is uh, uh, by TK or Tom Kaiser uh, uh, mentions the the author of the article and says. Considering it's clear that you've never been in a chat group with anything related to DAOs, I'll leak you the secrets. So here, I'm going to tell you what a DAO really is. It's just 200 guys and 10 guys pretending to be girls saying when airdrop over and over again. <laughs> so now I think, again, there's a little bit of truth to this joke because, you know, classically, it, there's been a lot of men in crypto. It's been harder to get women involved at times. And there's also, of course, been a history of just people airdrop farming and trying to get rich quick and going all the way back, all the way back to ICOs. So That's, kind of- Oh, like, let's talk about that. What about Meta Gamma Delta, which is a DAO uh, sorority to get more women into crypto and teach them programming skills for free that was funded partially by Meta Cartel and is just out there, you know, teaching 
uh, uh, more, more women engineering skills that they don't necessarily uh, are always, you know, invited to, right? Oh, I guess that is, you know, part of this evil underbelly. <laughs> just lazy, lazy reporting. I, I, I hate, I hate yeah. the whole thing. It, it's just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, for sure. And, you know, I think, uh, again, I think there's a little bit of fair criticism here, right? But mostly uh, they're trying to tell the person who wrote the article exactly what you just said. Um, and then so another guy, Andy, Andy8052 on X, uh, again, comments towards this article says, imagine thinking DAOs were this good at coordinating. <laughs> so again kind of poking fun by saying well okay i mean if DAOs really worked you could use them for online extremism <laughs> but they're not that effective and again maybe again just a little bit of truth here obviously there's ways you can criticize DAOs and say where are they working better where are they not working as well but mostly joking and and i think both of us know that actually DAOs uh, can be incredibly good at coordinating in uh, ways that were not even possible you know 10 years ago that now we can coordinate at, at scale in these new ways so yeah you, you know the the scaring everyone about the alt-right side of DAOs and or of crypto or you know it's it's uh fox liver folet libertarian origins or something you know it's just so played out and just obviously untrue like the idea of of taking banking monopoly away from giant mega banks that are constantly every day facilitating money money laundering as part of their business model and putting that into uh, collective collective control of the people actually using it obviously that's extremely progressive ideology ideologically the the idea of having anonymous payments so that people are pseudo anonymous payments so that people know that you paid but not for what or, uh, you know, obviously that is, is a progressive goal when you talk about bodily autonomy and, and being able to, you know, access healthcare or, or different things anonymously. You know, there's, there's so many easy, easy progressive or liberal wins uh, to focus on. Like it's the, the, the fruit is so low hanging, it's ridiculous. Uh, and the fact that someone would, would say, you know, oh, you know, there's an alt-right underbelly terrorism of DAOs, like, come on. That is, what a joke. What a joke. Yep, 100%. All right. That does it for this week's Just Dow It News Report. I'm going to do a quick ad, and then we will turn to the in-depth interview with Joseph. Uh, the quick ad is just for MyDAO, as always, just reminding everyone that MyDAO is a legal entity solution provider now for over 100 DAOs that are registering or registered in the Marshall Islands as DAO LLCs. Uh, we work with lawyers all over the world to help them understand the Marshall Islands option, um, help them understand how they can leverage it for their clients. And we also have a network of lawyers as a result that if anyone is looking for a crypto lawyer, please reach out. There's no cost. We can just get you connected with someone who can help you evaluate your legal risk and see if there's anything they can do to help you. Uh, also, uh, if you're coming to ETH Denver, please reach out. I'll be there. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Lots of good DAO events, lots of good crypto legal events I can, I can uh, point you towards. All right, turning to the featured guest interview, Joseph. And, we've come, already... and if you're in East Denver, come yeah. to the Open Dollar booth too. There you go. At the actual. I'm going to switch this right up here to my cool. uh, 
my my stand if that's okay for one second. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Right. Uh yeah, much better. Cool. Yeah, and you know, I'm as excited for Biddle Week, right? The week leading up to the actual ETH Denver. Um, it tends to be when a lot of the DAO events are, uh, the DAO focused events are. So there's all there's How to DAO, there's um, a DAO legal event, there's a glass blowing event to learn about DAO legal issues, all, all kinds of cool stuff happening. Um, all right. Uh, so, Joseph, uh, we've already dug into a lot of important. DAO-related topics. We talked a little bit about your background, but would you just tell us a little bit more? How did you get into Web3 and DAOs in the first place? And how does how has that led you to what you're actually working on today? Uh, yeah, so how did I get into DAOs, basically? Um, can you yep. still hear me okay, Adam? It might be going in and out a little. I wonder if you could get a little bit closer. All right, let me see if I can do this. Sorry. Maybe you can cut this. Well, we don't edit, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we cut the, the production budget uh, when the bear market started. Oh, yeah? yeah? So I'm just embarrassing myself then. Got it. <laughs> All right. Let me bring this over here. We're good. So. All right. Oh, that's not good. It's gonna fall. Sorry, my tri tripod is falling over. All right. So how did I how did I get into how did I get into DAOs? Um, yeah, I guess I was at ETH Denver, and um, I got the chance to meet Peter Pan, um, and a few other Meta Cartel OGs like Yaler. And uh, let's see, who else was there? I don't know. Pioneer Pat kind of introduced me to everybody. Um, and they basically were like, hey, you know, we're having this, we're having this luncheon um, and you have to come because this is going to be huge. There were basically only two DAOs at that point, right? There was Moloch DAO and there was the DAO, you know, the Ethereum DAO, which was, you know, had the hack and didn't really exist anymore. Um, so it kind of, what year are we in? What, what year 20, are we in right now? 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. So we had, you know, we had the DAO, the DAO hack in, in 20, I think that was 2017 or 2018. Um, and that was like the DAO, right? That was, created by Ethereum for Ethereum. And I think it had something like 30% of all of the ETH in it. And it led to this, this big fork and, and no one had really tried DAOs because, because it, it went so badly. Right. And there was Moloch DAO, which was, you know, trying to, trying to get started and Meta Cartel came around and said, Hey, uh, we're just going to put a few hundred ETH into this treasury we're gonna give it all away with no strings with no strings attached, and it was really the first, I think, radical public goods experiment. Uh, we didn't call it public goods then; we, that wasn't really part of the crypto vernacular then. But it was really just let's give away this money to whoever's building cool stuff, and and build a cartel and test out these these DAO theories that uh, you know we've been experimenting with 
but haven't really been implemented as a product yet, right? There was no productized DAO at that point. Um, and so my, my interest really started with MetaCartel and, and getting super into that. And then in 2020, you know, crypto was finally useful for the first time with DeFi and NFTs and, and all this other stuff. Um, and there was a lot of projects building. And so I joined Raid Guild which was um, and still is, you know, a product development shop, which is kind of a, a collective of a bunch of freelancers. And I had been doing freelance software development for a long time. I've been a freelancer for years, uh, but the amount of power that you get from uh, teaming up with a couple people in the DAO and saying, hey, I need a designer for this project and I need one other front end and, and then coming together and, and being able to work as a collective and actually own uh, actually own instead of, uh, you know, being hired as a contractor somewhere, but owning the organization uh, in the way that it was structured was incredibly powerful. And, and I'm totally sold on it. I think it's uh, one of the best possible models for hiring people and, and for working. And I really think uh, DAOs could be, you know, the future, the future of work too. Uh, so every, everything has, has basically come from that. And, and then I've had, you know, experiences, since then but uh, that's basically my origin story yeah okay so i gotta ask you because I, I love having the chance to meet o real ogs you know i got involved in daos around 2000, uh, 2021 which mm -hmm. is really early in the grand scheme of things but there were already hundreds of successful daos by then and so no. I, I kind of have always felt you hundreds so? of su successful ones I don't think so. Tens, tens of successful yeah. ones. Okay, okay, maybe hundreds of total DAOs. Tens yeah, of successful ones. Maybe, maybe something like that. Okay. Sorry, I don't, I don't yeah. mean to be pessimistic about it. No, it's good. Well, now I feel better because I'm even earlier than I thought. <laughs> I mean, I, are, I frankly, I usually, yeah. I, I mean, I, t I, t I have this chart. You know, I'd have to look at it to remember exactly what I put where in terms of when there were ten, and then a hundred, and then a thousand, and you know, cer certainly sounds about about right uh, in terms of what i remember but it, it was the end of 2021 um over my christmas break when i still had a, a job at a big finance company that i and i spent my entire like two weeks of vacation doing DAOs and DAO related stuff and then starting DAOs yeah. um and deciding i would to quit and get into DAOs professionally um but anyways i, I bring this up because still there's folks like yourself who were there for a few years paying attention to DAOs before i was even paying attention to them um, i'm curious is there anything you feel like people that are a little bit newer to the space miss because they weren't there for those first few years or that like some institutional knowledge or memory that you feel like is valuable to pass down to folks like myself and of course people in the audience too that you really only know if you were there at that time yeah um rage quit is a huge innovation you have no idea or i'm not going to say you because i'm sure you do adam because you're an expert you know but a lot of people starting things now or trying to figure things out now have no idea how powerful rage quit is. There's nothing like it. You know, rage quit, we mentioned it earlier, but the ability to quit and take a portion of the treasury with you whenever you want, you know, that's pro rata for the amount of shares that you have in a DAO. And that is, it just makes it safer. It means that the DAO can take more risk, right? 
And if your goal is not to pump your own bags, if your goal is to build an actual, you know, DAO that is like Spencer's article was about, you know, is, is, um, capture proof and, and built to last, then I think a lot more DAOs should look into, um, how to, how to do that and how to have more safety guards like rage quit. Um, the other like deep lore, uh, that I could share is um i've seen a lot of like nft DAOs, you know quote unquote uh you know use snapshot that's off chain which isn't great but the real the real thing that i've seen a lot of is almost everything passes right if you go to uniswap uh DAO, if you go to arbitrum you know all the optimism grants right all the biggest the biggest ones right now there's very uh there's very little contentious votes and there are some for sure but most i would say most of the most active DAOs right now are almost all uh unanimous vote or you know overwhelmingly positive for whatever whatever gets thrown up because it means that whoever is like spending the amount of time to actually uh, like come up with a proposal um you know everyone has discussed or agreed or you know come up or decided that yeah it's okay let's try it and i think at the beginning there was a lot more contentious things going on there was you know we're rage kicking people that we didn't like we're rebalancing the amount of shares that go to everything and um yeah like you know people should vote no more often and if your DAO doesn't have anyone voting no you're just going to vote yes on everything, then you're probably not innovating or experimenting as hard as you could be, right? You're probably not uh, going for the moon. Artrum has $6.4 billion. Go do something crazy, you know? Uh, and, and if everyone is just like, you know, uh, asleep at the wheel and just letting every single thing go through, then, uh, you know, that's another, another way to capture is is just by having positive vibes and 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 getting everyone to agree on things um so that's that, that's a few things maybe that's interesting um but yeah. just some observations of, of mine yeah thank you and let's dig into rage quit a little bit more because you've mentioned sure. it a couple times just so the audience knows the concept of rage quitting and, and tell me joseph if you'd add anything to this but is i mean first of all technically it means at any time you can give back your governance rights and take your share of the DAO's treasury, right? But, and so effectively you're okay. quitting, but you're quitting with your share of the assets. And I think where this comes into practice generally is, let's say there's a proposal that passes, then there's always a waiting period of a, a couple of days or whatever makes sense for that organization so that people can say, you know what? I disagree with that proposal so much that I'm going to now quit before it is enacted. And now I don't have to be a part of whatever that proposal was going to do. Maybe it was a swap of tokens for a different token. Maybe it was spending money. Maybe it was whatever. Um, so I, I think that's that's the value that, that you and, and a lot of folks see in that. But I, I got to ask you, though, I mean, first of all, again, if you have a different definition of, of rage quitting or a reason why it matters, but why is that so valuable when as long as you have a liquid governance token, you could just sell your token too, right? And, and, and I guess I see, to me, there is value in, if you wanna create an organization where people just have to 
disagree and commit if they disagree rather than always being allowed to just leave if they don't like the most recent proposal. I feel like there can be value in that too. Um, so, so the difference, how do you, the difference, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There was a little delay. No worries. No, go for it. Okay. Uh, the difference is, you know, the Armstrong Dow has 6.4 billion in assets. That doesn't mean there's 6.4 billion in liquidity for you to sell your token, even though it's, it's liquid, you know, you can't, you can't tomorrow if everyone sold, you know, ARB would go down to zero, right? If everyone tried to sell that, that much money. Um, no. So even if, even if there's a, even if there's really deep liquidity, I mean, Arbitrum is one of the most traded tokens, right? It's, you know, top 20 projects or something. So, uh, I don't think it's really comparable because the treasury is totally independent from the token price, right? Um, and Rage Quit, the other difference is Rage Quit was mostly designed for Moloch DAO, right? And those have non-transferable shares. So there is a version, Moloch V3, that has transferable shares, which definitely has benefits. But if your goal is to create a capture-proof uh uh, organization, then maybe you don't want someone to be able to just buy shares on the market. You know, you have to actually earn them and they're non-transferable, they're non-delegatable. Uh, and so there's lots of different kind of tweaks that we can make to the parameters of different DAOs to make them uh, safer or more capture proof from different types. You know, there's trade-offs from different types of, um, of attackers. Yep. So I, I hope I hope that that makes sense a little bit. Yeah, and and I could see how, especially in the case of a DAO with non-transferable membership rights, then introducing rage quit has much more marginal effect on the DAO than introducing it to an environment where there is a liquid token, even if there might not be infinite liquidity. Right. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Um, all right, uh, Joseph, tell us a bit more about Open Dollar, the project that you're primarily working on right now. Sure. Yeah, Open Dollar. Uh, like I said in, in my intro, Open Dollar is a new over collateralized stablecoin on Arbitrum. Uh, we have changed how vaults work in collateralized debt positions, which are used to mint most decentralized stablecoins. And instead of having to pay back your debt, uh, to access your capital, your collateral, you can sell your entire loan. And the secondary loan marketplace in the U.S. alone is, you know, trillions of dollars in volume a year, uh, but it's zero in DeFi. And the reason that that matters is because there's this feature set of traditional finance that just is not available in DeFi right now. And uh, we need to make it more useful to have adoption and and to uh, you know, allow allow DAOs to do all the things that traditional companies can do and, and to compete with them on chain. So the example that I like to give to explain this is you would never take out a 30-year mortgage on a house if you could not sell the house until your loan was paid back, right? Nobody would do that. You always want to be able to sell your house whenever you want. You want to move. You want to go to the... Um, 
you want to go to the what, what's the islands that you're on i'm sorry marshall islands marshall islands you want to go move to the marshall islands you know yep. you don't have time to pay back this loan and and it's probably more than you have in cash right but yep. you want to be able to access the capital the value in your house so you want to be able to sell that mm-hmm. right but that's not how that's not how DeFi loans work today anytime you lock collateral into a platform like Ave or Compound or Maker, you have to pay back your debt before you can access your capital. And it's just not how it works in traditional finance. Loans are better in traditional finance than in DeFi right now, um, besides flash loans. And yeah, we can we can improve that and, and just raise the feature set of DeFi um, to, to a closer match traditional finance and also build a stable coin that is actually safer than any other one that exists right now besides maybe okay. liquidity. All right. I want to dig into this in a little more detail so I can really try to understand what's unique about open dollar. So first of all, let, let's touch a little bit more on the, the, that difference you're describing between TradFi loans and DeFi loans and, and how collateral is involved. So yeah. I, I, am I understanding you correctly if I say that Part of the difference has to do with the fact that in DeFi, because we're not using identities and court systems and traditional contracts and stuff like and, and credit scores and stuff, you have to actually give your collateral to me for me to be willing to give you a loan versus in TradFi, which is the world we live in, you know, because of all these systems. I don't have to actually give my house to you for you to for to, for me to use it as collateral. You know that if I don't pay back my loan, you can come after and and take the house, right? And and therefore I get to keep my house while I use it as collateral. Is is that is that the problem that you're saying in terms yeah. of what's possible on DeFi today? Right, right. And the culmination of that is that uh, loans are tied to accounts in 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 DeFi, right they're tied to an account uh and your debt is non-transferable because if you could transfer your debt you would just you know send it to zero and send it somewhere else and then run away right because anyone in in crypto can run away um but with our non-fungible vaults on open dollar the collateral that is backing the od stablecoin uh, and the debt, the amount of stable coins that you've minted against it are tied to this vault and the vault itself is transferable, which means that the whole loan is transferable. So you can get out of a position without having to pay back your debt. So if you, if you are leveraged up, you know, on, on the collateral, then you don't have to go find capital somewhere else to avoid liquidation. You can just sell your entire loan. And vice versa, if you're holding a stable coin and there's a DPEG event or you just want to get out of it for some reason and there's not enough liquidity, uh, you know, you can buy someone else's vault and redeem your stable coin for the underlying collateral, right? And get out of it at any time because it's always fully backed. And so when USDC DPEGged, you know, at 2 a.m. on a Saturday, you don't get to call up Circle and be like, hey, you know, they're the issuers of USDC. You don't get to call them and say, hey, send me two treasury bills. Uh, I'd like to redeem my USDC for the dollar value of it, you know, of the collateral that's backing it. And then they send it to you autonomously. They, they don't do that. They're never going to do that ever because 
traditional finance. Like that's not something that they do. But on open dollar, you know, you can redeem your stable coin for the underlying collateral through these transferable vaults. Uh, and I think that is going to make the stable coin system safer. It's going to make um, is going to make it so that we are actually building safer stable coins in crypto that are decentralized instead of relying on, uh, you know, USD backed ones like uh, like PayPal USD or or USDC, right? So we can actually build systems with these safeguards that are safer and decentralized rather than relying on custodians. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying actually one of the things that's risky about the USDC stablecoin is that it's simply backed by fiat. Is that right? As opposed to vaults, which could have a more diverse investment portfolio. I mean, because uh, to me, I, I like, let me just, maybe I'll just share a little more where I'm coming from. I love USDC for our company because when someone pays us, we do just we don't call circle but we go to their website and for every usdc that we give them they give us a dollar into our bank account no matter what it doesn't matter what the price yep. what usdc is trading at so that feels like very trustworthy of course unless the bank of circle fails and loses the money right then usdc fails is that part of what you're able to help overcome not necessarily just yeah. open dollar, but like vault based stable coins in general. So not, not in general, no. And it's not necessarily about the diversity of collateral backing it. I think U S treasury bills are more likely to be a stable asset or, you know, maintain their price than ETH, right? ETH goes up and down a lot, mm -hmm. mostly up yeah. just historically speaking but it goes down a lot sometimes, right? And treasuries don't usually do that. But there was a circle, there was a USDC DPEG event last spring, right? And that was a very, very hard weekend for a lot of people holding a lot of USDC. And it's not about uh, getting dollars. It's not about um, you know being able to trade it into dollars whenever you want, which uh, I'm pretty sure they turned off the, you know, they turned off withdrawals for that at the time because they, no one knew what was going to happen over the weekend with Silicon Valley Bank, which went mm -hmm. defunct and was and was holding 20% of the of the USDC collateral, right? Okay. So, so they you can't you can't get the treasury bills. You can get cash, right? But you cannot get the actual assets that are backing that stablecoin. They won't send you that. And they especially won't do it autonomously and they won't do it at 2 a.m. on a Saturday. And the, if you go to bluechip.org, which is a new stablecoin rating agency, Liquidy, LUSD, has been rated for a lot of really good reasons as the single safest stablecoin. It has the highest rating of any stablecoin in crypto, including USDC, including centralized backed ones including DAI and, and, every, and every other one on the list there. And the reason for that is if you hold LUSD, you can redeem it for the underlying collateral at any time. You can go to whatever vault is the lowest collateralized vault that has the lowest, that means it has the lowest ratio of the value backing, uh, backing the stable coin. 
and you can go take your stablecoin and take ETH out of someone else's vault at any time because liquidity is it's, it's a design, it's a feature of liquidity. And it makes the stablecoin really, really safe because even if it depegs and in the market it goes to $0, you can go get ETH out of it and and redeem, which is incredible, incredible feature. You know, There's never been a currency in the history of the world before liquidity where even if it was backed by gold, where even if it was backed by other currency, right? You would never, and the US dollar is not backed by gold anymore, but even when it was, you could never go to the Federal Reserve and be like, here's my dollar, I'll take my gold, mm-hmm. right? That's, that would be insane, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But you can do that on liquidity. And the improvement that open dollar is making and, and why that matters is uh, in liquidity, it's off, there's no opt out, right? The lowest, whatever the lowest vault is, that is the one that is going to get liquidated against someone's, against someone's will. And I don't think there should be any surprises in DeFi. I think it should be opt in. And I think the people providing their vaults for, uh, uh, for redemptions should get extra yield and make, make a very small fee on that. And people getting out of the stable coin whenever they want safely get to, um, get to, you know, do that in a way that is not liquidating someone else's position um, against their will. So we can take that same feature set and we've been hugely inspired by liquidity and by Reflexer and people who have built other really powerful decentralized stable coins before us. Um, but we can take the best features of those and, and add our own, our, our non-fungible vaults and, and build something that is really unique that has not been tried yet. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to, to see how that turns out and see how people use it and what else they build on top of it. Yep. You know, there was a lot of information really fast. It is so. a lot, especially for <laughs> someone like me and maybe a lot of our listeners that are more DAO, more yeah. into DAOs and less DeFi yeah. in some cases. I want to even keep digging a little bit more. Help me understand the, the, these vaults, uh, you know, like it, let's take the simplest, if there's a, whatever the simplest example is, where are these vaults coming from? Why are you saying that maybe the, someone owns the vault and therefore you wouldn't want to force them to liquidate it? What does that mean? Um, what, what, how are they, how are these vaults involved in the creation yeah. of a stable coin? So for most decentralized stable coins, there's some weird ones that this doesn't affect, like uh, or are not set up with CDPs, right? Like Bean or um, maybe Frax or you know some others. But for most most decentralized stablecoins, like Reflexer, like MakerDAO, like many others, um, uh, High, which is launching today at seven o'clock, um, you know, you lock collateral in like Ethereum, like ETH tokens, or something else. Uh, in the case of Open Dollar, it's liquid staking tokens like Lido ETH and Rocket Pool ETH on Arbitrum. And those tokens, that collateral, is going to be locked in the protocol. Uh, you can borrow the Open Dollar stablecoin or whatever stablecoin is that one for that project. You can borrow it against that collateral, and now you have a stablecoin. And People are managing those vaults. The place that you're locking it in is a vault. And previously, those uh, that kind of locking and borrowing, that was all tied to your address, to your wallet. 
and now it's transferable. So a DAO can own uh, a vault in open dollar, and if they want to sell it, they don't have to pay back the debt. They don't have to. Um, they don't have to, you know, do any type of like complicated paying back or you know go buy OD from the market and then bring it back to pay fees. They want to get out of the position. You can use all this existing infrastructure around NFTs. Uh, you can just sell your vault on OpenSea or or some other marketplace, right? And we might make our own marketplace later. So the vault is itself a token, and it's so easy to transfer. You can see it inside of your wallet, which is not really an experience that other CDPs offer. Um, and and because of that, uh, I think it's much more flexible and and easier for for people to use. I hope I hope that answers CDP. the question a little bit. Yeah, CD, CDP collateralized debt position. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And and if when you own that vault. You said people are managing it. What what does managing it mean? Are are you doing things with the money, or just you just someone has to own it because that's just the way the economics work? But you don't really do anything so, with it. Someone owns it. There's an infinite number of them. Every time somebody creates a position, they get a new vault token, right? They get this new NFT of that vault. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Huh. And and you. What happens with the interest on the uh, on the liquid staking tokens? It goes into the vault, and there's more collateral, or yeah. So Open Dollar does not take any fees on liquid staking tokens. So if you lock your Rocket Pool ETH into Open Dollar to borrow against, uh, we don't take any cut on on the staking yield. Um, that all is going to your vault, and it's hopefully going up in value. Um, you know, if ETH goes down, the token might still go down in value. Uh, so there's always risk associated with creating those kind of positions. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's earning yield for you, and and you get to stack that. Cool. Okay, for you, really, for you as the stablecoin holder, right? Who created the vault? Right, because it's it's accruing to whoever owns that vault. But okay, you might so have you, sold so it when to you... someone else. Got it. Okay. So you, when you create the vault by putting assets into it, you can then create dollars out of it for yourself by borrowing against it, but then you yep. could sell the vault to someone else without giving them the dollars, right? Or do the dollars always, right. go with, they, they don't go with it, right? Okay. Right. The dollar, cool. the, the OD stable coin is just its own, its own totally separate right. token very normal ERC-20 that everyone is familiar with. Yep. Wow. So why would someone want to buy a vault from someone else if well, that doesn't give you any rights to the assets in it? It does. It gives you complete okay. rights to your, you get rights to the assets in the vault, but you're also okay. responsible for the debt, right? So the value of any vault might be uh, the value of the collateral minus the value of the debt on it, right? It's both of those okay. together. And if you're trying to get out of a position, maybe you're willing to sell it for 0.1% less than that value, right? Yeah. And then there's an arbitrage opportunity. And if you're trying to get into a particular position without having to pay a lot of fees to do looping and lending or um, just to buy a simple position as a DAO and, and make the experience simpler, 
then maybe you're willing to pay 0.1% more, right? And those kind of arbitrage fees, I think, will make the market really interesting um, and also and also help prevent people from paying, you know, 20% liquidation fees. Uh, so I think it will make the capital a lot more efficient and, and uh, yeah, just kind of unlock, you know, these, these new possibilities with trading loans on a secondary marketplace. Wow. Okay. Thank you for digging into that with me. I know that was a lot. It was not necessarily what we were planning on doing, but really interesting. Um, So yeah, we don't have a lot more time, but let's just talk about DAOs for another few minutes. So how are DAOs involved or will, how will DAOs be involved in terms of uh, the open dollar project? Is it governed by a DAO? Is there a DAO associated with the project? Yeah, it's actually ungoverned by a DAO. Okay. So it's governed. There's a DAO that governs it, but it's an ungovernance DAO. And so we're trying to take this principle of like minimized governance. Um, and I wrote about this on our Open Dollar Mirror recently. Um, I'd love to share that article with you. But mm-hmm. there is a DAO, um, the ODG token holders. Um, open dollar governance token holders get to vote on what types of collateral to add to the DAO and to raise or lower the debt limit for the protocol. Um, and there's a lot of safeguards like a long, uh, a long time lock. So after a proposal goes through, if it's really bad, then people have a chance to sell all their tokens or exit their positions before it executes autonomously. Um, and also the ODG token has barely any control over the rest of the protocol. And there's a lot of DeFi protocols, I think that have created DAOs and given their governance tokens, like absolute authority to add extra fees, to change how it works, to upgrade the contracts. And, and that could change the logic of things. And mostly open dollar is like, pretty much not upgradable. You could deploy a new version of it and then connect that to the DAO if you wanted. But we're trying to build like the most autonomous code possible, the most immutable code possible, and take away all of these parameters that the DAO could possibly update and just say, nope, we're going to set them once at, la- at launch and then, and then we're going for it, right? And, and try to have as little governance as possible um, and and build it for uh, longevity. So I, I think there's a there's been some very interesting attacks recently um, on like old defunct DAOs that could possibly upgrade their code and then drain tokens straight from people's wallets even if they don't interact with it because of token approvals that they set you know four or five years ago. Uh, and we can just avoid all of that by designing our governance system in a way that it has like extremely little power, <laughs> but yeah, still, still improve value from the protocol by having the protocol fees go to um, go to the treasury and and go to buying buying the governance token from the market. Wow, interesting. Um, so that's a token that's already live and available. If people are looking for things to ape into not investment advice, obviously not investment or... advice. Uh, don't ape into things. Uh, don't ape into ODG. 
um, but it is available on the market and it is um, that part that part is live the DAO has been deployed and we're hoping to deploy the rest of the protocol shortly after we get back from ETH Denver um, after we finish our, our final code audit with quant stamp that we're in the middle of right now. Cool. Exciting. All right. Um, since we're almost out of time, is there one, okay. Number one piece of advice you could, unless you have more time, we could go a little bit over, but I just want to see if there's a top, you mean, you've already mentioned so many tools, so many DAOs, so many things for people to check out. Um, but is there one more or two more tools, DAOs, advice for people starting DAOs that you want to leave people with before we close? Yes. Um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. Wow. Nice. Is and it, <laughs> Okay. I, that, we could have a whole conversation about that. I love it. That's okay. great. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. how, how big is it? How big of together or it's just, it's a sliding scale. The farther you want to go, the bigger together means. I think so. I think if I could go back in time and, and give like, I don't know, 18 year old Joseph one piece of advice, it would probably be like, mm. you know, it's a lot easier to build something worth $10 million with 10 of your friends than it is to build something worth $1 million yourself. And I don't think that's true just about money. I think that's true about, um, you know, impact in the world and impact of your projects or the things that you choose to spend your very limited time on earth pursuing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Bring friends, you know? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Very cool. And, uh, Joseph, where can people find you on the web or on social? Um, yeah, my, my space, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> people, people can follow me cup. O Joseph on Twitter, on Farcaster, on GitHub and go check out opendollar.com and uh, join our Discord and learn more about the DAOs and ungovernance principles that we're um, working towards. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joseph. Uh, this has been really fun having you on the show. Awesome to have a DAO OG here on Just DAO It. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Adam. This was fantastic. Very fun. And uh, I hope to come back someday and, and go through this again. Awesome. Yes, let's do it in about a year. Uh, we'll see see how much let's things have changed. Yep. Let's do it. All right. Quick disclaimer for the audience. None of this ever is legal advice, investment advice. I'm not a lawyer. Joseph's not a lawyer. Um, and so uh, please seek your own legal counsel. If you're looking for lawyers, get in touch. We know crypto lawyers, Dow lawyers all over the world who specialize in all kinds of different stuff. So you can find me. Uh, I'm the thriller on Farcaster or Zero X Thriller on Twitter. My DAO is mydao.org, M-I-D-A-O.org, where you can find our socials. And again, Joseph, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. See you next time, Adam. Thank you.